As someone who is a, a 11 o'clock guy, it's like a family reunion being back. It's great seeing old friends I haven't seen in a long time. Um, music is a very big thing in our family's life. Mike referenced it earlier. If you come at 11 o'clock, I think Gail's leading today. Most Sundays we're over there playing, and that comes naturally. Um, some would say it's kind of in our, our destiny. My mom um, has been the organist at the Baptist church I grew up in, uh, in central Illinois for 40 plus years. Um, my grandmother, now deceased, played the piano at their Baptist church in Kentucky her entire life. I'm sure my great-grandmother did too, I just don't know. Um, and then on Gail's side of the family, you know, one of the cool things when we first um, started dating is I went to one of um, Bob's uh, family reunions and they do this incredible thing as only folks who are from the Mississippi Delta can do. Um, at, at the Saturday night, everybody's kind of tired. You know the family reunion's about to kick off and people bring out the guitars and they bring out the violins and you get the, the it's, it's incredible sitting around the campfire just, just playing music. Just playing music. We love it. One of the things that we Gail and I agree on in our marriage um, is that we want both of our girls to, to have the gift of music. And so it's really important to us. They can do pretty much whatever they want academically, but they will learn to play the piano, all right? They will learn to play the cello. So we're on the same page for the most part with one very um, minor but important exception. Um, in my musical repertoire, um, I have, a, I have a, a dark secret um, that, that she knows and she's somewhat embarrassed of is that I love classic rock. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, I can't help it. I grew up in, I'm from central Illinois. When you grow up in East Peoria and you're in your, mid, in your 40s, classic rock's your thing. And so I'll sometimes get in the car and whenever I turn it on, Gail just says, oh, turn that garbage off. And we just, you know, we agree to disagree. But the other weekend, she was out of town. And so, you know, you see where this is going. And so about 11 o'clock at night, I'm, I'm, I'm going through the five billion channels we have on TV. I should be in bed, but I'm not because I'm here by myself. The girl and the girls are gone. And what do I see? I see a concert, a live concert on one of the live music channels. And it's Queen in Montreal, 1981. <laughs> All right, so yeah, <laughs> loves it. So what do you do when that, you're in that situation? Well, you obviously turn it on, you hit the DVR record button, and you crank up the bows as loud as you can. You hope you don't wake up your neighbors next door. Sorry, Bob. And you just start rocking out, okay? And that's what I did. But at this time, I couldn't really enjoy it as much, okay? Not because the music wasn't awesomely epic. It was, okay? Not that, that, that I didn't, my taste had changed. They hadn't. I still loved it. But I, as I was watching the performance, I had a voice kind of, not a, not a voice, but something kind of popped in my head. A remembrance, so to speak. And I couldn't really figure out what it was. And after a while, I was like, that's really bothering me. So I, I, I turned it off TV and kind of went to bed. What is that? And then it came to me. I've been watching, like I said, I was, I was watching the concert. It was, it was Queen 1981 Montreal. But what I remembered as I was sitting there was something I had heard years ago in the Alpha course. It was from the very first night of the course. Um, which is, is there more to life than this? And it was a quote by the lead singer. And right before he died, Freddie Mercury said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship.
I remembered that quote. And it instantly brought me to the question of, is there more to life than this? What does it mean? Why, what, what, what is life about? Is it about the adoration of 70,000 fans in Wembley singing in unison? Is it about achieving the pinnacle of our career success? It is, a, is it about finding that, that wonderful relationship and making a marriage kind of an idol? It's about lots of kids. What, what is it? What's the point? I suspect if you're like me, um, you've had the similar, a similar thought over the course of your lives. Maybe an example where you've made a good thing, some of the things I just talked about, the thing. When you've made good things in life, the thing, and inevitably are let down by it or feel unfulfilled. You've, you've made striving um, to, to rise in the ranks of the Navy your life, but you retire and then it's over and what do you do? Or you've worked really hard to get a law degree um, and you get a job and you're respected or whatever, but what's it about? Or you've struggled to, to really achieve something. You've longed for um, to be in a marriage relationship with someone who you love and you, you get married and but then the wedding's over and then you're in, you know, what, 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 is there more to this? The people that Jesus is talking to in John 10 are no different than you or I. We're separated by 2,000 years of linear time, but in our core, we're the same, the same. And Jesus is talking to them, and, and they are having the same questions about life as we do. And so he goes into this parable. It's a parable of the shepherd. The figure of speech, I think it's called in our text. And he gives this parable in John 10. Gra- grab a pew Bible, if you've got it. I, mean, you, actually, I know you do, because it's right in front of you. So grab a pew Bible. Um, it's on page 896. I promise you, you will get more out of this if you're reading while I'm talking. Jesus tells him, he says, the people he's talking to, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and his sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they won't follow, but they will flee from him for they don't know the voice of strangers. This is the best line I think in this whole passage. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. I mean, he's literally standing in front of them telling them this figure of speech and they don't understand. They don't get it. So Jesus says, okay, let's back up for a second. Let me, let, me, let me lay this out for you. He goes on in verse seven. I'm telling you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come, came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, says Jesus. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We'll go in and out, find pasture. And in verse 10, I love verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Then in verse 11 he says, I am the good shepherd. 
So to understand the parable, to understand the, the story Jesus is telling from verses one through verse six, the people who were hearing it at the time and, and us as well have to kind of get a, a primer, almost like a prequel, talking to us about some things. This, this story that Jesus is telling in verse one through six is conditioned on, on a presupposition. The presupposition is that we have gone through the door. Jesus is not only the shepherd, he is the door. To understand Jesus as the shepherd, you have to have experienced him as the door by which we gain access to the Father. I am the door. And we've seen that in, in the last couple Sundays of this sermon series talking about entering into the newness of life, where Jesus shows up to Thomas. He shows up. Thomas falls on his knees, my Lord and my God. We've seen Jesus show up on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas. And Cleopas describes it afterwards. It says, my heart burned when I was in his presence. They've experienced Jesus as the door. But now what? But what's, what's next? When that experience is over, what does it mean? What do we do now? And so we go back to the shepherd parable. We go back to the shepherd parable. But before you do that, you look at the last part of verse 10. The last part of verse 10. And as I read it, I am forced to answer a question and I'm gonna submit the same question to you right now. Do you want an abundant life? This is not rhetorical. It's a legitimate question. Do you want an abundant life? Abundant is defined as plentiful, rich, full. It is not defined as easy. It is not defined as comfortable. It is not defined as successful. It is not defined as lengthy. Do you want an abundant life? I do. I do. And if you say yes to the question, I want an abundant life, I got great news for you. Jesus explicitly says in verse 10, awesome. That is why I came. So that you may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, that's great, Sam. But how, how, does, how do we do that? Well, that's where the, the parable of the shepherd comes in. Look, if you will, in, in your Bibles, verse, um, verses three and four. Now, the way this is, the way this is, uh, the author of, the way John puts this in his text, you kind of have to, you have to work with the text a little bit here. It's a classic example of why it's really good habit as we study the scriptures to kind of employ that method of what does it say, okay? What is, pull out the keywords. What, what's being said? then what does it mean and what do we do with it? But before you get to the what does it mean, you have to look at what it says. And as I look at verse three, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. What are they hearing? They're hearing, as he says, they're hearing him call his sheep by name, okay? So Jesus calls his sheep by name and they hear his voice. So as Jesus calls, we're instructed to hear. Note it's not when he calls, it's and he calls. As he calls, we hear. 
And as he leads, the last part of verse 3, as he leads, the sheep follow, for they know his voice. So like a lot of things in the life of faith, it's, it's simple. doesn't make it easy, but it, it's, it's, it's a complicated, big picture issue the world's been grappling with for, for as long as we've been around. But the key to the abundant life is this. It's just this simple. As Jesus calls, we hear. And as he leads, we follow. Do that, says Jesus, and you will have an abundant life. So how do we hear Jesus? Mike was talk, talking about it a little bit earlier. How, how do we engage with, how do we hear? For a long time, I thought that the key to hearing Jesus was I had to be really quiet. I had to go in a room, have no sound. I had to bow my head and that I would hear something. And all I ended up hearing was my snoring because I would fall asleep. I right, laugh, it's true. I, I, I had not been taught what it meant to hear Jesus. I saw some of these stories from, from the scriptures, the Old Testament, and, and, and I, or, or Paul, you know, Jesus shows up and he speaks. And he does do that, but, but that never happened to me. How do I hear? Well, let's, I suspect some of you might have that same question. Let me give you an answer. I'm gonna, again, steal pretty liberally from, from the Alpha Course when they talk about the five C's of how we hear Jesus. And for those of you who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I promise you, you, when you've heard the Lord, it's been through one of these five C's. One of the five. The first is commanding scripture. This week as I've been preparing to preach, I've had to dig into this passage because I didn't look, look like a fool. And doing that has really caused me to hear from the Lord. It's awesome. Commanding scripture. Compelling spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. When we pray for the Holy Spirit to come, the Holy Spirit is the counselor. He guides us, directs us. Compelling spirit. We hear from the Lord through the Holy Spirit. We also hear through common sense. The Lord's given us a brain. He's given us, he's given us the ability to, to think, to rationalize, to apply our minds to problems that he's presented to us. Commanding scripture, compelling spirit, common sense, the counsel of saints, each other. I have heard from the Lord in great part when I've been in accountable relationships with other Christians. I'm looking at Todd right now. So we, you know, when, when, when we were in a small group together for a couple years, it's amazing how when you're getting together with, with friends and you're together for the purpose of learning about the Lord and sharing life together, how God shows up in your life. Just amazing, it's, it happens. The Council of Saints. And lastly, there are circumstantial signs. There are times when things happen in our life and we say, that can't be a coincidence. So if you are regularly engaged in the commanding scripture, in the compelling spirit, using your common sense, involved in relationships with the Council of Saints and circumstantial science, I got news for you. You will, not you might, you will hear Jesus. You will. Prove me wrong. You will hear Jesus. But doing that requires us to make some lifestyle changes. It requires us to engage in habits. And this is where we get hung up. 
as Christians, speaking as a Christian to Christians, this is where we get hung up. Because to be in a continuing, ongoing relationship with someone, anyone, whether it's the Lord or even among other people, we have to, in order to hear, in order to listen, we have to be in a position and a posture of listening. As awesome as it is to come and worship, just showing up for church on a Sunday out of a sense of obligation or whatever is not enough. You don't walk in the doors and all of a sudden, the, you know, God speaks to you. I'll use an example. So in our 18 years of marriage, there have been plenty of times, um, including, let's say, last week, where Gail and I have been in the same room, not just the same house, but the same room, and one of us is talking to the other, and it's like, it's like the teacher in Charlie Brown, wah, 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 you know what I mean? We're, we're, we're in the same room, but we're not listening to each other. We're distracted. My mind's at work, or hers is at work, or my mind's on whatever's on my Twitter feed, or she's distracted by any number of things, or I'm hungry, or I've had too much to drink, or it, whatever, okay? We're together, but we're not listening. I'm not in a position nor a posture to hear. And so that's my challenge to, to you today. Are you in a position and in a posture to hear the Lord? If you're saying to yourself, man, I sure wish Jesus would speak to me or I can hear, I'm gonna push right back at you. Are you in a position and a posture to hear. If you are, and you're engaged in getting in the word, if you're in accountable relationships with fellow believers, if you're praying for the Holy Spirit to give you insight, if you're applying your common sense to problems as they come, and if your eyes are open to circumstantial signs, I promise you, you will hear from Jesus going to happen. But to achieve the goal of an abundant life, that's the first of two steps. As Jesus calls, we hear, but he doesn't just call us. We hear because we've heard from him. We look up and he's leading. And then the burden is on us to follow. As he calls, we hear. As he leads, we follow. So having heard, how do we follow? The, the, the simple way to say is just, you know, trust and obey. And they're all him, trust and obey, it's the only way. Just obey. It's, that's hard. A lot of times we can't do that in our own power. The Christian life is not a solo endeavor. In order to follow Jesus, we have to put ourselves into relationships with other Christians. You can do it on a short term, but to do it for a long term, to not have to be a sprint, but a marathon, when Jesus speaks into our lives, we have to have, be in a posture and a place where we can tell our fellow Christians, hey, I'm hearing, this is what I'm hearing from the Lord. Will you pray about this with me? I'm feeling like this is what I need to be doing, but I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? 
Will you hold me accountable to this? Will you walk with this through me? I'm really scared about what this would mean for, you know, for my family, for my friends, for my security, for my, for my job, what have you. It's not a solo endeavor. You have to be with other folks in the flock. You have to. So as I'm preaching to you this week, it's like this, 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 this passage, when I first read it, it kind of glossed over. I've been in the church for a while, and I didn't really, you know, I've heard, I've heard these figures of speech before. It's kind of like the people Jesus was talking to. I didn't understand it. But as you dig into it, sometimes God, God speaks and reveals to me. It's like, it's like a personal conversation. And I, my hope is it would be the same for you. I want an abundant life. Okay? I want it. If I'm candid, I'm a little bit past the halfway marker. You know? How, how many laps is the Kentucky Derby? Is it four lane? Okay, I'm, I'm, I finished my... If everything goes great for me, I'm, I'm midway through my third lap. All right? I got four. And I want to make that time count. I want it to be an abundant life. An abundant life. I long for it. I've tried making success at my job my idol, and it wrecks you. I suspect you've probably had the situation in your own life where you've tried making something good, money, sex, power, whatever. You've tried making it your idol, and it's left you wrecked. If you want to have an abundant life, Jesus is there. Do you want it? If the answer is yes, Jesus is speaking to you personally in a personal relationship with you that is unique to you and saying, Danny, do you want an abundant life? Yeah, I do. All right. Well, I'm talking to you. I'm speaking. Will you hear me? It's on us. Will we submit ourselves to the habits necessary to be in a posture and a place to hear the Lord? Will we make it a priority to get in the word? Will we make it a priority to be in relationships with others? Will we pray for the Holy Spirit to enter into our lives? Will we do it? And when he speaks, will we tell somebody? Will we ask for help? Will we follow where he leads? May we be a church that does that. Can you imagine just for a second, can you imagine what this church, a thousand people on a regular, average Sunday, all told? Can you imagine what a thousand people who are listening to and hearing the Lord and following where he leads can do? A thousand people. By our own strength, we can, maybe we can do some cool stuff, but it won't last. But if we lead where he takes us. Lord only knows. And that is an abundant life. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, your scripture is sharper than a two-edged sword and it can cut us to the heart. 
for those of us who have walked through the door of salvation, who have experienced you, who have exclaimed as Thomas did, that you are our Lord and our God. For those of us who have felt our hearts burn like Cleopas in your presence, we want more of you. We want to live the life that you came to give us, a full and abundant life, full of meaning and significance. Jesus, as you speak, give us ears to hear. Not if, but as. As you speak, give us individually ears to hear. Put us in a place, give us a posture to hear. And when we hear, and we watch you lead, give us the courage to follow. For the thief and the robber come only to steal and kill and destroy, but you come that we may have life and have it abundantly. Amen.